0: Scripture reading this morning be from Matthew chapter five, verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship. It's the most amazing thing in the world to be a Christian. It's the most amazing thing in the world to be a part of the Lord's body. It's the most amazing thing in the world to enter into the presence of a God who is holy and loving and true. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for making that a priority as we begin this week. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew, the fifth chapter. You'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be studying together in verse number 5. That's where we're going to draw our thoughts this morning, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5. We're going to continue our series of lessons through the Beatitudes. We're going to continue thinking about, considering how we can experience true blessing, true happiness, true meaning and fulfillment in life. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm sure that we've all heard the name Chuck Norris, haven't we? Chuck Norris is a mixed martial artist, in case you didn't know. He has black belts in several different types of martial arts. He's also a very well-known actor, like Walker, Texas Ranger. I'm sure we could list a lot of different things that we know he acted in. Chuck Norris has a reputation of being tough. He's a man's man. He can beat up anybody at any time. Chuck Norris is the king of the roundhouse kick. There have actually been some jokes that have been made about Chuck Norris. I don't know if you've heard these before, but they really put in perspective who he is. Time waits for no man unless that man is Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris can slam revolving doors, that's quite an accomplishment. Death once had a near Chuck Norris experience, that's a rebrand there. Chuck Norris doesn't breathe, he holds air hostage, Then my favorite one, when Chuck Norris was born, the only person who cried was the doctor never slapped Chuck Norris. (laughs) His reputation precedes him. You can see what his reputation amounts to. Well, several years ago, whenever Chuck Norris was acting in a small Texas town, he had finished acting during the day. That night, he decided to go to one of the local cafes. So he went in. He sat down at a booth. They brought him his food. He started eating, sitting alone. A man who didn't recognize him came over to him, pointed his finger in Chuck Norris's face, and said, you better get up. This is my booth. This is where I sit every Friday night. Without saying a word. Chuck Norris grabbed his plate, grabbed his drink, shuffled over to a booth across the restaurant. It was about 10 minutes later when this man came over to Chuck Norris with a terrified look on his face. He said, you're Chuck Norris, aren't you? shook his head, yes. And he started apologizing diligently. I, I am so sorry. I recognize that you could have wiped the floor with me just a few minutes ago. I shouldn't have spoke to you that way. Chuck Norris invited him to come and sit with him. They sat with one another for the next several hours. They shared dinner. They shared dessert with one another. Chuck Norris ended up buying his meal, and they became very close friends. I think that story does a good job of illustrating the topic that we're going to be talking about this morning from Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5, as we continue this series of lessons where we're talking about true happiness, experiencing true blessing and true meaning, true fulfillment in life. We see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what it means? to be meek. You know what it means to live a life that is defined by meekness? If you're going to be meek, a few words that are synonymous with that is is you're going to be humble. You're going to live a life of humility. If, If you're a meek person, that means you're going to live a very gentle life. The way that you interact with other people is going to be coated with gentleness. Especially when we find ourselves in certain situations and emotions are really high, Meekness is a hard trait not to understand, it's a hard trait to live, especially when we're dealing with certain people, or again, we find ourselves in certain situations, being meek, being gentle, being humble is something that requires great self-control, and it requires great self-discipline. You know as well as I do, it's easy to blow up on people. It's easy to give people a piece of your mind. It's easy to pretend like you're the greatest person to ever exist, that you're so much better than everybody else. It's easy to pretend like you're the smartest person in any room that you find yourself in. It's a whole lot harder to be meek. It's a whole lot harder to control our emotions, to control our words, to control our actions, to interact with other people, and to carry ourselves in such a way that we are defined by humility and gentleness. Yet, that is exactly what Scripture tells us to do. That is exactly who Jesus expects us to be. If you go over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, among a list of other virtues, Paul tells us to put on as God's chosen ones, as the people whom God has elected, as those who are holy and beloved, he tells us to put on meekness, gentleness, humility. Just like in the wintertime you would put on your coat whenever you go out in the cold weather, Paul commands us to put on meekness, to clothe ourselves with meekness. It's something that we should be wearing wherever we go, regardless of who we're dealing with or what we find ourselves doing. In first Timothy chapter six and verse eleven, there's a very similar command where Paul offers the command pursue, seek after gentleness. This is a lifetime pursuit. This is a pursuit where you're never going to get to the end of it. As we live our lives, we should pursue meekness, gentleness, humility. In Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul commands Titus to talk to the Christians, to remind the Christians who he's preaching to, remind them, verse 1, to be gentle. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to remind ourselves, to be gentle. Let's allow Jesus, let's allow His Word to remind us to be defined by gentleness, meekness, and humility. What did our scripture reading say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But then we run into a question, why? Why should we be meek? If you look out into the world, if you look out into our culture, this is not a very popular characteristic. This is not a very popular trait. This is not something that's going to be held up as significant and important. Why does Jesus hold it up as significant and important? Why should we be meek or gentle or humble? When we study the words of the New Testament, I believe we find at least four reasons to be meek. Reason number one As Christians, we must be meek Because meekness allows us to receive the Word of God. You're never going to receive the Word of God into your heart. You're never going to live the Word of God out in your actions, in your decisions, unless you're a person of meekness a person who has the humility to say God is greater than I am and so I'm going to submit myself to him. I love the way that James says that. In James chapter 1 and verse 21, when you look at this in context, this comes immediately after verses 19 and 20 where G- where James says that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to wrath because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then if you skip down to the verse after it in verse 22, James says we are to be Doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves? You look in the middle of that, James 1 and verse 21, and you find some powerful words. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Take a look at that verse and then consider these questions with me. How are we able to get rid of the sin in our lives? How are we able, as he says, to put away filthiness, and I like the way the New King James translates it, the overflow of wickedness. How are we able to receive the Word of God into our lives? How are we able to have the Word implanted within us? Not just receiving it, but how do we allow the Word of God to be planted in our hearts, to be planted in our minds, like you would take a seed and plant it in the ground? We know that the Word of God is able to save our souls. It has the capability to do that. But how does that salvation become a reality in my life? I want you to notice that everything in verse 21 comes back to this internal characteristic that we are studying this morning. It all comes back to meekness, humility, gentleness. See, sometimes whenever we study the Word of God, it's going to be different than what we've always heard. Sometimes when we study the Word of God, it's going to be different from what we've always believed. And oftentimes when we study the Word of God, it's going to be a lot different from the things that we so desperately want to do on a daily basis. But James is calling on us here to be meek, to be humble, to have a humility that says, God, I know that you know better than I do. God, I know that you are higher than I am. I know that you're greater than I am. And so instead of persisting in my own way, instead of living based on my own sinful lust and desires, I'm going to fall down at your feet. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to receive your word into my life. I'm going to allow it to be planted in my heart. It takes humility to do that. It takes us realizing life is not about us Life is about God. We have to place Him before ourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you in due time, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. It makes me think about a group of people that Jacob and I have been studying with over the last few months. All three of them, Donnie, Jessica, and Tina, are all amazing, and they've been so open to receiving the Word of God. But this morning, I'm thinking about Donnie. I think we mentioned him before in our announcements. We had been studying with him for a couple months. This was about a month and a half ago when it came time to talk about baptism. He came from a faith tradition that didn't believe you had to be baptized to be saved. Baptism isn't essential. Baptism isn't necessary for salvation. When we started walking through some texts together, we looked at two verses. Whenever Donnie looked up at me and Jacob, and he said these words, I've never seen that before. I didn't know that was there. I don't want to believe it, but I have no choice but to believe it here it is right in front of me in his conclusion he said I've been wrong about this my whole life you fast forward one hour you know what happened Donnie and Jessica both made the decision to be baptized into Christ they made the decision to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins Do you know what we call that we call that meekness we call that humility. They received the Word. They allowed the Word to be implanted within them with meekness. And as a result, it saved their souls. Do we have the meekness to admit that God knows better than we do? Are we humble enough? Do we have the humility to say, God's always right. And if I stand in contradiction to Him, I'm always going to be wrong? Even if His message is different from what we've always believed or what we've always heard, even if it's different than what we want to do, how we want to live on a daily basis based on our own natural lust and desires, do we have the humility to fall down at God's feet and to say, my life is not going to be about me, but instead it's going to be about you? Can you see why meekness is so important? Can you see why Jesus says, blessed are the meek in Matthew 5 and verse 5? Meekness allows us to receive God's word into our lives. Number two, we must be meek as followers of Jesus because meekness allows us to serve others. Serving people, isn't that what we're all about as Christians? We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to wash others' feet like Jesus has washed our feet. We want to evangelize. We want to make Jesus known. We want to do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith, Galatians 6 and verse 10. But if we're going to do that, we have to be meek. People will not allow us the opportunity to serve, to make a difference, to help, or to evangelize if we're not gentle. If we're not humble. Think about it like this. It's like picking up a newborn baby. Whenever you pick up a newborn baby, you're not going to be rough, are you? You're not going to yell and scream in its face and get really angry. You're not going to pick it up by its leg and twirl it above your head. If you do that, you're going to get in trouble. Instead, when you pick up a newborn baby, you're going to be very what? Gentle. Cradle its head. Bring him close. Speak to him very softly. Make sure you're not holding him too tight. We understand gentleness when it comes to newborn babies, but then whenever those newborn babies grow up and they become teenagers, they become adults, we lose that sense of gentleness. We lose that sense of meekness. If we're going to be who Jesus calls us to be, If we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to serve others, if Jesus' name is going to be known through us, we have to be gentle. Even if we're speaking the truth, even if we're saying what's right, if we don't say it with gentleness, it'd be better if we didn't say it at all. Let me show you a few verses that teach us that. In First Peter chapter three and verse number fifteen, this is a pretty well-known verse where Peter says, "In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect." Peter says that we should always be prepared to give a defense for those who ask us why we believe what we believe. We should always be prepared to give an answer when someone asks, hey, why do you live with such hope? Why do you live with such expectation? I can see the difficulties in your life in the context of 1 Peter 3. I can see the persecution that you're going through. Why are you so hopeful? Why are you so joyful all the time? Peter says be prepared to give that answer. But in this text, it's not just about memorizing an answer. It's not just about giving a defense. It's about how we give the answer. It's about how we make the defense. Peter's not just concerned with what you say. He's concerned with how you say it. Yes, make the defense and be prepared to do so. But when you get that opportunity and the person asks the question, how do you give the answer? Peter says you better make sure that you do it with gentleness gentleness, and respect. We find something similar. 2 Timothy 2, beginning in 24, he said that the Lord's servant must. Now, I like that word must because that teaches us that these things are not optional. Paul's not throwing out a list to say, hey, here's some things you might want to consider. Whatever you like, you take. Whatever you don't like, you can leave behind. No, Peter says, or rather, Paul says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome Argumentative, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. As Christians, do we have the responsibility to correct our opponents? Whenever someone says something or teaches something that's not in step with Scripture, do we have the responsibility to correct them, yes or no? We live in a culture that says no. Our culture says you take your truth and I'll take my truth and both of us can be right. You can't correct me because it's true in my mind and I can't correct you because your truth is true in your mind. That's not the message you find in Scripture. Whenever people are teaching something that is not in step with the Word of God, we have the responsibility to correct them. Paul tells Timothy, if you're going to be the Lord's servant, then you must correct your opponents. Why do you do it? Oh, you don't do it to win an argument. You do it to win a soul. When you offer that correction, God is able to work. God is able to grant that person repentance, which leads to a knowledge of the truth. But then how do you do it? He says, make sure when you correct your opponents, make sure you do it with gentleness. Make sure you do it with humility. Make sure that you do it with meekness. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Gentleness is what opens up the door for repentance to take place, for a life to change, for the truth To be known in Galatians six and verse one, Paul says again, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If we see our brothers and sisters wandering off into sin, we have the responsibility to restore them. We have the responsibility to help bring them back, to reach out to them so that they can be restored in their relationship with the Lord. I think about in Genesis 4, remember the question that Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? In the Lord's church, in the Lord's family, we are our brother's keeper. When you see a brother or sister wandering off into sin, you should be doing all that you can to restore them, but with what spirit do you restore them? It's the same message, isn't it? He says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I remember I was studying the Bible with a girl in high school, and all of our studies looked like that. They turned into yelling matches. See, she, she would get mad at me for saying what I was saying, then I would get mad at her for getting mad at me, and things would escalate from there, turn into a yelling match. How far do you think I got in that study? Do you think that I was able to make a difference in that? Absolutely not. And that's what we're saying. That's what we've seen in three different places in the New Testament. If the New Testament tells us once, it's important. If it tells us three times, then we better listen up. Meekness is important to us as Christians because it is what grants us the opportunity to serve other people. So often we might have an attitude that says, Well, I'm just straightforward. I'm just blunt. That's just the way that I am. There's no excuse for not being gentle. We have to think about other people. We have to be intentional in being patient and kind. We have to be able to control ourselves. Make the defense. Give the answer. Correct your opponents. Restore your brothers and sisters, but make sure you do it with gentleness. If gentleness is absent, it'd be better off if you didn't even talk to them. It'd be better off if you didn't offer the correction or make the defense or try to restore the brother because if you don't do it in gentleness... It's not going to work. They're not going to give you that opportunity. Number three, we should be meek and we must be meek as followers of Jesus because we are followers of Jesus. Meekness follows Jesus' example. When you look at the Bible, there are some major divisions in the Bible. Of course, you have the Old Testament, then you have the New Testament that's divided up in the Gospels and Acts, and then you have the writings of the apostles. Did you know that every major division of the Bible identifies Jesus as someone who is meek, someone who is gentle? Of course, the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus pointing forward to the Messiah that's going to come, the Messiah that we believe did come in the person of Jesus Christ. There are a number of these passages, but one that comes to mind is Isaiah 42, verses 2 and 3, where God is talking about his servant. In the context of Isaiah 42, the servant of the Lord is Israel. But if you fast forward to Matthew 12, verses 19 and 20, we find that these words find their ultimate fulfillment in the person, the life, and, and the character of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus. Notice what the Bible says, pointing forward to Christ. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Can you see what's being taught? Jesus is not going to arrogantly cry out and lift his voice in the street. Jesus is not going to lift up his voice so that all eyes will be on him, and he'll have everybody's attention. Reeds back in the ancient world were very common. They were used for a lot of different things. If they were bruised, you could break them really easily. And so, if you had a bruised reed, you'd throw it away. You'd replace it with another one. They were plentiful. According to this text, Jesus isn't even going to do that. A bruised reed, he's not going to break. The same is true with wicks on a candle. If the wick had been burnt down and it was faintly burning, it's not going to benefit you. So again, you're going to trade it out. You're going to get rid of that wick. You're going to replace it with another one. Jesus isn't going to do that in his ministry. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Through symbolic language, what is Isaiah teaching us about Christ? He's going to be gentle. He's going to be humble. He's going to be meek. Now, Jesus is the one in Matthew 28 who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the one who created all things in Colossians 1, and he's the one who sustains all things. In Revelation the 17th chapter, he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, yet he is going to carry himself In a way of meekness and gentleness and humility. Go to the writings of the apostles. What do you see? Well, you see the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, Paul tells the Corinthians, I'm going to come to you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Aren't we thankful that that's how Jesus comes to us? In meekness and gentleness. But what about the Gospels? Well, did you know that Matthew 11 and verse 29 is the only place in Scripture where Jesus describes his own heart? If you were to describe the heart of Jesus, how would you do that? What kind of words would you use to describe Jesus' heart? There are a lot of words that we could use to describe Jesus' heart. There were a lot of words that Jesus could have used to describe his own heart. But look at what he says about midway through 29. He says, I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. In the only place that Jesus describes his own heart, He finds it important to note that He's gentle. And that's to our benefit. See, that's the reason that the rest of this passage works. That's the reason that we can come to Jesus whenever we labor and we're heavy laden. That's the reason that we can take Jesus' yoke upon us. It's the reason that we can sit at His feet and learn from Him. It's the reason that we can find rest for our souls in Jesus because He is gentle and And he is lowly in heart. Meekness follows Jesus' example. Now, go back to the last two points that we've made. Point number one, meekness allows us to receive the Word of God. John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus was all about God's will. He was all about God's Word. This life is not about me, but it's about my Father. Why did Jesus have that mindset? Because he was meek. He was gentle. We said in point number two, meekness allows us to serve others. We'll go to Matthew 12 and verse 15. The Bible says that many followed Him and He healed them all. Why did they give Jesus that opportunity? It's not just because He's a miracle worker. It's because He's gentle. If He wasn't gentle, they wouldn't know that He was a miracle worker in the first place. If we want to be like Jesus, meekness, gentleness, humility is going to make up our character let's follow in his footsteps and then finally number 4 as christians we must be meek because meekness results in reward you go to matthew the 5th chapter in this series of statements from jesus that we call the beatitudes we're talking about true blessing true meaning true happiness In this life. Jesus says blessed are the meek in verse 5. The question is how? How does meekness result in blessing? How does humility and gentleness result in true happiness in this life? Well again, look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Jesus explains it to us. He says blessed are the meek and here's the blessing. Here's where the happiness comes from. They shall inherit the earth. It seems that in that statement, Jesus is echoing what David earlier said in Psalms 37 and verse 11, where the meek shall inherit the land. The same Greek word that translates land translates as earth. In that context, in Psalm 37, David is talking about those who will enjoy the peace, the prosperity, and the delight of the promised land. The land that God gave to his chosen people, Israel. That whenever you're meek, you're going to inherit all of the blessings of the land. And you're going to be able to experience the delight and the peace and the prosperity that comes from it. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land, or they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is not just saying that Christians are going to enjoy life more than everybody else. I think that's ultimately true. Jesus offers us an abundant life in John chapter 10 and verse 10. You can't have life in abundance unless you have Jesus. But ultimately, I think what Jesus is wanting to communicate in Matthew 5 and verse 5, those who are meek are blessed because they're the ones who are going to get to inherit the earth. Those who are gentle, those who are humble, are going to experience true happiness. The true happiness that comes from the peace of the prosperity and the delight of the land that God has promised to us, and eternity with Him in heaven. Blessed are the meek. We said at the beginning of the lesson, want to say it again, the world doesn't view it that way. In the world, meekness, gentleness, humility is not going to be a trait that's very high on their list. Those who are meek are not blessed in the world. Those who are meek are ran over. They're stepped on. They're doormats in life that people are going to wipe their feet on. You're going to be taken advantage of if you live this kind of life. It's kind of like a guy who wrote a pamphlet called Cower Power. And after writing that pamphlet, he joked that he was going to start an organization called the Doormats. You know what that stands for? The Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. And that's the way the world thinks about it. Meekness is weakness. If you are meek, the only power you're going to have is cower power. If you're meek, you're going to be a doormat that people are going to trample on. If you're meek, then you're never going to be independent. You're never going to be able to do anything for yourself. You're always going to be dependent on other people. That's the way the world thinks about it. But church, that's not the way that Jesus thinks about it. And if that's not the way that Jesus thinks about it, it's not the way that it is in reality. We have to be meek because meekness results in Reward. The meek shall inherit the earth. When we live lives defined by gentleness, we'll one day experience the true happiness that comes from an eternity in our promised land. Experiencing the peace, the comfort, the prosperity that comes from that. Do you want to receive the Word of God into your life? I mean, I'm talking really. Is that something that you really want? Do you want to receive God's Word into your heart and into your mind to live a life that says, not my will, but yours? Do you want to serve others? Do you want to make a difference in this community? Do you want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and one day be rewarded by Jesus? Do you want to be happy in life? Do you want to experience true blessing while you're here? Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This morning, Jesus is calling on us to be meek. He's calling on us to have the humility to submit our lives to Him and to place His will above our own. Would you be willing to do that this morning? Do you have that need this morning? We'd love to help you if you do. As together we stand and sing. Ben leads us in our invitation song. Good morning again. I want to welcome each of you to our services at Seven Oaks this morning. We had 182 in attendance for Bible class, 257 for morning worship. I want to invite each of you back tonight at 6 p.m. for our evening services and on Wednesday night at 7 for a midweek Bible study. Uh, On our prayer list, uh, we want to add Jerry Rohr. This is the husband of Pam Rohr.